Hello, and welcome to the Slow Style Home Podcast. If you don't want a cookie-cutter, generic home, and instead you want a beautiful, meaningful home that's layered with personality, then you are going to be so inspired by the conversations we have on this show. We talk about why the environments we create matter and how to set up our rooms to evoke specific feelings and experiences that are right for you wherever you are in your life right now. I'm Zandra, your host and creator of the Slow Style Home Framework that teaches you how to make really thoughtful and informed decisions about your home rather than chasing current trends that may not last or staying stuck with rooms you hate, feeling overwhelmed with too many choices. Right now, when you join our monthly membership, the Slow Style Society, you'll get a personalized deep dive into your vision of what a dream home looks and feels like. And together, we'll come up with a plan on how to achieve that. If that sounds pretty awesome to you, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society for all of the details. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later on. Right now, let's just jump into today's episode. Hey there, welcome to another season of the Style Matters podcast brought to you by Little Yellow Couch. This show is for people with real lives and real homes, the kinds of lives and homes that have constraints and are sometimes messy and they are never perfect. But despite all of this, if you're still obsessed with creating a home you love, this podcast is definitely for you. I'm Zandra, your host, and I believe that how you set up your home can actually help you live your best life. And how you set it up and how you design it and decorate it, that all becomes what we call your signature style. And the first step toward this, it has nothing to do with design rules. The first step is in knowing who you are. So to that end, I do have a question for you. What do you think is the number one mistake that you're making in your home right now? If you're curious to know, go over to littleyellowcouch.com and take our quiz. And then I'll send you some actionable steps that you can take to start addressing that particular issue. And hint, hint, it probably has something to do with a shift in your mindset because I love a good mindset shift. All right. So my guest this week is someone who I kind of consider to be a friend, even though we've only talked once before, and that was on this show, and we've never even met in person. But he is just so warm and lovely. His name is Sean Shearer, and he's a painter by training and profession, and currently has been a passionate shop owner and creator of interior environments that envelop you in very particular atmospheres and emotions. I guess I consider Sean a friend because he's so easy to talk with and he's generous with sharing pieces of himself and we connect on many things regarding the benefits to one's life when you take the time to develop a signature style or a signature aesthetic. Sean has written his first book, and I am so thrilled for him. It's called Cabinet and Camera, Creating Authentic Interiors. And these are German words, cabinet and camera. They both begin with K. And they refer to the name of his well-sought-after shop in the Catskills in New York. 
In our conversation today, Sean talks about what different elements go into the creation of a home or a room or even a small vignette based on his years of training, his eye on composition, balance, and storytelling. I'm so excited. Let's just get started. Sean Shearer, I am so happy to have you back on the podcast. It is, it's just wonderful to reconnect with you again. Yes, me too. <laughs> good, good. And now you have this beautiful new book that has come out. And when I first heard that you had a book to come out, I just thought, oh my gosh, he's the perfect person for this because your interiors are so rich and layered and there are so many little things to find within them it's the kind of book that you can stare at the photos for a long time which is the kind of book I like but I have to say I loved your writing as well you're a beautiful writer thank you yeah (laughs) and and as I was saying before we started recording I um I really enjoyed learning about your childhood, because we didn't really cover that the last time I had you on the show. So I'd like to just dive into that, if that's okay. Yes, absolutely. Okay, great. So you grew up in Miami. Tell us a little bit about the architecture, the glamour, the decay that, that really became your first teachers in terms of cultivating your aesthetic. Yes, yes. Well, Miami is a complete invention. Yeah. And I mean, in such a dramatic way because they really basically just created a city out of swampland. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, and, uh, it shouldn't even exist. Yeah. In other words. uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, it shouldn't. And it was always, it always had that element of make believe or fantasy. Uh, and I think, you know, early on it was sold, you know, as of course, uh, as it still is today, but as a place for Northerners to escape Uh the winters. So they came up with very creative, themed places like the city of Coral Gables. Yeah. Uh, and so it, there was always this this artifice. And since Miami is so new, uh, you know, the sense of history was also artificial. Okay. In a sense. Right. But that became my authentic history. <laughs> yeah. So it, it it's a very, very... Uh, you know, fascinating place to have grown up, especially realizing that after having left it and going to school in Chicago, to the mm. School Art Institute of Chicago, and then, you know, to New York and then other other cities. It was only after, like so many of us, after we leave, realize, you know, how, you know, what we experienced growing up. Yes. And Miami was one of those places that just was so full of, you know, beautiful visuals from the plants and the animals to the architecture. Uh, It just really was a feast. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, for the eyes. But since you grew up in the 70s and 80s, it was also starting to crumble. And so you, 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 and I feel like that, that layer that's on top of the kind of glamour is, I really see that in your, in your life now, seeing a piece kind of fall apart. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Uh, Well, I think there's always been a romance in ruins. Mm. Uh, And I think that's why we love archeological sites, but right. um, uh, Yes. I mean, Miami has been because of, its nature, I mean, because of its precarious nature environmentally, also financially, it's 
been through a few for such a young city it's been through a, f a few boom and bust cycles uh-huh you know south beach wasn't even south beach i mean the whole art deco district was pretty much abandoned when oh. i was a kid but and it had the it had the begin it had it in it because of those art deco yes yeah 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 i mean it had just this unbelievable wealth of of historical architecture before we leave miami i want to ask you a little bit about villa viscaya because it um it, it figures fairly prominently in your introduction. Tell us a little bit about it and why it was so magical to you. Well, Vizcaya is, uh, again, a make-believe Italianate villa <laughs> or Mediterranean-style villa uh, on Biscayne Bay overlooking Miami. Mm -hmm. And it was part of the turn of the century, kind of the great houses like were built all over, like in Newport and, and, right. and Palm Beach and things. But what makes... Vizcaya so uh, different or why it stands out so much is that it's it's attention to the scale while so many of the other great houses were overblown mm -hmm. you know they really it's like like I compare it to uh, the Biltmore yeah uh, which to me is just it's like on steroids <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't it, it doesn't impress me because the it's just so inauthentic. Interesting. And Vizcaya just had so much attention to that detail, but it also it also has so much layering. Uh huh. And it it creates these really amazing moods from room to room, mm. and I think that is what really laid the groundwork for my aesthetic or my idea of layering okay. objects in interiors. Yeah. Is that it really creates these these moments that really transport you, transport you. And when I was a kid, you know, I, I, it was like being in Venice. I mean, it was, it was for me, it was so authentic. I sure. just thought this was, a, you know, a perfect <laughs> Venetian villa. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I just, I love this idea of things that we encounter at particular ages in our childhood that stick with us that then we keep coming back to as adults and, and realizing, oh, that's, why I felt that way. You know, you don't, you didn't have the words for it or the context for it as a kid. But when you think about it as an adult, it just starts to all make a lot of sense. And, and I just, I loved that, that has stuck with you. Yes, no, absolutely. So right towards the beginning of your book, this might even be in the intro, you don't, I don't know if you intend to define the word eclectic or the phrase eclectic style, but I think it's the best definition I've ever heard I'm going to quote you here. You say eclectic style is the merging of elements from different periods and styles with the emphasis on creating a mood or experience. And I loved it because so many other designers use the word as a, sort of a, a throwaway term when they can't put a, they can't give this mix of styles a category name, right? Mm -hmm. We just say, well, right. You know, it's a traditional or it's shabby chic or it's farmhouse or it's industrial or anything else. It's eclectic. Like it, it just everything else kind of goes in this in this other category. Right. The reason I don't like that is simply because it's not helpful. I, th I think it's not helpful because so many people, they don't have a collection from one 
strict style. You know, they don't have an, a, a fully art deco home or a fully mid-century moder- modern home because we get things from people. We get things from our relatives or we bring things, you know, with us from house to house, different different uh, styles that we've been attracted to over the years. And so we all, most of us, have some kind of mix. And the the hardest thing for people to do is know how to mix it together and make it work. And so that's what I loved about this idea that you're saying that there's an emphasis on creating a particular mood or experience. It's it's considered, in other words. It's not just thrown together. Right. I'm talking too much. Tell me what you want to say about it. And that definitely (laughs) comes... I, I, I don't know if that was describing Vizcaya with that same quote, but that definitely is the brilliance of properly creating. I don't think, like I said, they would have called it eclectic back then, but really you're just trying to take objects from disparate time periods and put them together to create a setting, a mood, or if, if you want, you know, it's a great way to kind of think of, you know, do you want to transport people, Mm. you know, to another place? in Mm -hmm. your room or your setting Mm -hmm. and you can choose objects with that explicit intention right and that that is what you do so beautifully and I love that you just said uh what do you want to do in the room do you want to transport someone or yourself there it's an elevated way of thinking of our homes um I feel like the the 90% of the time when I ask the question well what the first time I asked the question, what do you want to feel in this room? The answer is comfortable. Mm-hmm. And yes, I mean, of course, uh, that's, that's perfectly understandable, but it, it, it's not very, uh, there's not a lot to work with there because there's so many different ways in which one can be comfortable. Right. A lot of us think of home as something that's fairly uh, pedestrian, simplistic. It's just for a re- regular ev- everyday life. And the way you approach home like I said, it's elevated. It's about having an experience, even for yourself, even if you're the only one living there. And and I just yeah, absolutely yeah. You know, there's a lot of fantasy or humor in my in my work. <laughs> uh huh. But it's subtle. <laughs> uh huh. It's not you know, it's not over the top. It's not like a themed room. You know, right. I'm not trying to make it look like a Moroccan you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> lounge or something. But I do start with a room or think of a room and do think of like what is the mood or what is the intention here and what is you know what do I want people to feel here so you if you kind of come up with that idea the the comfortable part's gonna come Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) you know that it's that's a given that's a given Uh, exactly that's a given so so I always always kind of think of a theme it's often a very layered and traveled you know it's always it's often very worldly again you know, this idea of a well-traveled individual who brings back the mementos, you know. And yes. again, that goes with the idea of eclectic, because if you're traveling and, and like most of us do, you're just picking up pieces here and there, you know, then you put them together in this setting. Well, and, and that's, I mean, that we talked about this on our first uh, interview, but the name of your shop, Cabinet and Camera, it, it refers, I believe, to sort of the cabinet of curiosities, the, the, the sense of the world traveler bringing things home, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. And and camera is a chamber or uh, like a Kunstkammer, could be an art gallery. Mm. So it's it's definitely about that, that idea of a collected life. So you have been 
uh, keeping shop <laughs> for uh, quite a while now, uh, sort of a second career for you after mm-hmm. working as an artist for many years. And I love the story you tell about selling a painting to Edward Albee. That was so cool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Um, but what compelled you to write a book? Well, I actually, um, I was contacted by an agent after mm-hmm. the New York Times article. Oh, okay. We never wound up doing a project together because I think it was just too early. Uh, but that that is the first time that idea got planted. Mm. And then I just started basically working towards that. This book is, is literally, no, you know, literally 10 years in the making. Wow. So the first, the first shoot in this book is 10 years ago. Oh my gosh. Okay. We'll be back after a quick break. I assume you're here because you want a one-of-a-kind, personality-filled home, right? Well, in order to have that, you need to define and develop your signature style. When you do that, you're going to understand how to mix what you already have with new things you find, focusing on who you are and what you love, putting it all together in a cohesive way. So what's stopping you? Well, let me know if this sounds about right. Not enough time, not enough money, and a lack of creativity or design knowledge, which makes you feel overwhelmed and insecure about pulling the trigger and changing things up. This is why I created the Slow Style Society, to help you take action on making your dream home a reality. It's part social club for people who like to just geek out on design and part hands-on learning experience where you get better and better at making decor decisions for each room in your home. And for the next few weeks, I'm offering all new members an additional one-on-one style session with yours truly. So I'll take you through the lessons so you know exactly what to focus on inside the Slow Style Framework in what order, and you'll have a personalized support system from me to get you there. Go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society so we can get started right away. Let's not wait for that imaginary perfect time to create your beautiful, meaningful home. Again, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society. Okay, back to the episode. All right, I want to play a little game with you. Uh, <laughs> we, we've talked about this, how your shop is, had, had become kind of a laboratory for you for experimenting with how objects might come together. And when you mix them in different ways, they tell completely new stories. Um, yes. And I, I always felt that that was an extension of how you live in your home as well. And maybe you've just run out of room in your home. And so now you're going to experiment the same way in your shop. Um, All right. So the game is let's imagine you're moving into another new place and you have blank walls, you have empty floor. You've probably chosen something that has great architectural interest just because that's who you are. What do you do first? Well, I'm, I'm actually in the process of doing just that. Really? (laughs) This new building in Franklin, um, is a renovation project, so oh. that's, it will be unfolding in the next couple of years. Okay. So um, I did do two rooms, a couple rooms to start with while, you know, we wait to renovate further. Yep. Uh, you know, I start with the palette, which are the is the walls and the floor. Okay. So, uh, or the canvas, so to speak. 
So uh, <laughs> right, as an artist, that's yeah. You're, right. So yeah. you 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 know, so choose your paint color. This one room that's that is in the book, the living room that has the tap Belgian tapestry with the flamingo. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so that started out. I wanted to do something a little different because I used a lot of color in the in my other house in Andes. So this one was really kind of actually going into more earth tones, brown mm-hmm. tones. Mm-hmm. So I started with uh, a taupe wall color and dark chocolatey brown paint for the floor. Mm. And then, you know, I, I always think of, again, if you think of like an artist, how they layer paint or textures, mm-hmm. then the next thing would come uh, would be your floor covering. So in this case, I have a rush or sizal mat again, but it's in that. You know, it's like a jute, so it's in that natural range. Right, with a so, lot of texture. Right. So in this palette or this room, the color scheme is, you know, very textural, but it's very browns mm-hmm. and naturals or neutrals with a hit of color here and there. So then on one wall, to get that jolt of color, uh, I painted one of the walls this great blue. Mm. And in front of that blue is the mustard cabinet. Yeah. Again, it's how your eye moves around a room and making sure that your eye does float and doesn't get too held up on one thing or one corner or one object. Because right. if your eye's doing that, then you know you're out of, it's out of balance. Because you love color and you're certainly not afraid of it and you have an entire chapter about not being afraid of color in the book. Yes. And you're open to probably every single shade on the color wheel. How do you pick? I mean, you know, sort of the opposite problem. I mean, a lot of people are they're 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 choosing between you know beige and taupe, <laughs> you know. Whereas you have the entire color wheel at your disposal because you'd be happy to use anything. How do you how do you know? I mean, is it a mood that you start with? Is it a like how fully formed is is the room in your mind when you start? Like you said, the first thing you think about are the walls and the floor. How, how do you know? You know, the one thing I also don't think I think people should think about, too, is how a room or each room or rooms in a house unfold into the next. Mm. So I always am thinking of, you know, the transition or the progression. Okay. So you know, even if they're separate rooms, you have a, a doorway or an opening and you often see rooms from another room. Yes. You know, right. As you, so you want to kind of pick up, bring that. So like it's. This room, this living room we were talking about, is mostly earth tones. You want to kind of carry that through to the next, even mm-hmm. if you're going to up the color scheme. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you want to maybe continue it with a sizal rug so it picks up on the other sizal rug. You know, you just pick, you choose things. You can choose colors that also lead in to the next room, not to think of them as completely separate entities. Right, because then it feels the house as a whole feels a little bit choppy. Right. Yeah, mm. it gets too disjointed. Right, right. So, and then other things, a way about thinking of color is is your environment. There are certain colors I love that I would not use in upstate New York as oh. much as I would in Miami. Interesting. Like what? So upstate New York is, you know, we have a lot of 19th century buildings, and a lot of the 19th century buildings would have had these colors, or at least a mustard color paint, or they would have, the 19th century, they weren't afraid of color. Right. It was only you know, more recently that we started to paint everything white. Isn't that funny? Yeah. You know, but then there's like, you know, I don't think I would have, you know, use a pink here. Okay. But I might use a pink in a tro- subtropical house. 
Right. Okay. You know, right. Because so you it wanna... picks up on the flowers outside or yes. things like that. Yes. So yes. I guess it's it's also think of the context. How can you work with colors that are in your your region or your environment that helps also create the authenticity of a room? I um, love thinking about that as the as the color being the sort of underlying storyline through line for the home as a whole. Yes, and I often because I do do a lot of historical restorations. I also often try to find existing color mm. in the house. So there's there's this one house that has art, this ferro and ball color called arsenic, oh. which is that really acidy green. Yeah. And the floors are painted green. Well, those colors were actually found in an old, uncovered in an old piece of wood under oh. a door trim. Love it. So I was just picking up on the colors that were once already in the house. Uh, the way you have set up Cabinet and Camera, the shop, is experiential. And you've talked about, and I certainly can imagine that it is a destination shop. In the book, you talk about taking ordinary, practical, utilitarian pieces and creating narratives around them, which is why I think walking into the shop is an experience. And I just love this approach Whenever I'm pulling a whole room together or just working on a little shelf rearranging, you are truly the best when it comes to that, by the way, to, to visual compositions. You. you are. Uh, talk a little bit about what you mean when you say you create narratives with your objects. Well, there's that great quote by Ford, every object tells a story if you know how to read it. So every everything is, every object in our lives is embedded with with history, meaning, memory, mm -hmm. whether it's personal from, you know, a hand-me-down or an heirloom from your family or a favorite uh, item purchased on a vacation or what, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's those personal meanings that we embed in every object. But then there's their historical context, where they're made, when they were made, who made them. So then when you start thinking about how these objects you know, it's almost like putting two people in a room or composing a cocktail party and you're guestless. Yeah. You, know, you want to create, you know, <laughs> un invite enough people that are, get along, but are, you know, have different enough backgrounds that it's interesting. And right. In interested in each other. You know, what conversation are these two vases going to have? Oh, I what love is that it. vase going to say to that box <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sitting on the coffee table? Right. You know, so it's really about that communication. They can be like minded objects, meaning uh -huh. they could have similar color or texture or tone or pattern, but they can also be very disparate, opposite objects that oppose each other in one sense, but have enough in common that they are adding to each other. You know, you could put a mid-century ceramic that has a really beautiful modeled glaze mm -hmm. next to a 19th century jar that also has a very modeled handmade glaze. Uh -huh. And they're very, you know, they're a hundred years apart, but they have this great compassionate symbiosis together. Right, right. So it's it's that kind of thing, which is just which I I really love is how they already have a natural, you know, bond. Yeah, so to speak. I, it's such a great and fun way to think of our objects and playing around with them. I wonder how much of this just comes so naturally to you because of your training and your work as an artist and the eye that you've developed? I, I think it definitely, I mean, that's why I, you know, I, I still, I mean, I, I consider everything I do my art. So 
I'm mm. still considered, I'm still an artist. Yeah, I totally <laughs> uh, agree know, with you. So um, whether, you know, I take a hiatus from painting or, or not, I, I consider all these compositions also my, my art. Yes. Uh, I think, yes, I think that I, I seek out things and I seek out or I make juxtapositions and dialogues between different objects that are heavily based in my background and education as an artist. Okay. Yeah. And I think I, I, I really tried to stress that in the book because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the references to the chapters are based on famous artists yes. as well. And there's yes. famous artist quotes throughout. So I really wanted it to kind of ground it in also in, you know, my background as being an artist. Um, so, but I do think it's something anybody can, it, it, you know, mm -hmm. your education comes from looking and looking and looking and looking. So, and I've been doing this since I was 16. Right. I, I want to ask one more question about the book, which is, it's your chapter called More is Less. How can we keep an abundance of objects from looking like clutter? Well, uh, as I say in the book, the best way is to work with modernist or uh, ideals which is uh, balance or symmetry. Okay. And that's a lot of what I do in my vignettes is that there's often uh, a central focus, focal point mm -hmm. or even a cross motif, meaning, you know, you start out with a center object and go out left and right and top and bottom. Yeah. And that already gives a sense of balance. Mm. And I think what people mistakenly do or what, why a lot of times having a lot of stuff goes awry is that they don't incorporate a strict structure, okay, a geometric structure. Because basically what happens and what a, these are techniques or things I've learned as an artist is that your, you, your eye goes, your eye likes balance. Your eye likes symmetry. It's unconscious as opposed to something that's scattered all over, mm. you know, that makes you feel disjointed. So if you can incorporate a, a sense of symmetry or balance in uh, like a, a salon style hanging, yeah, you know, then basically what happens is your eye reads it as one object. It it just it merges all the the empty spaces, so it's not reading it as fifty objects. Right. So and that's where housing ob, you know collections in a cabinet or in a shelf, a niche in a shelf or on a tabletop, it's the same thing. Yeah, so like, uh, you know, old glass bottles that, that people kind of dig up when you're digging up the foundations of old homes, you'll find different wavy glass bottles. Some of them are brown, some of them are green. And putting them all together in one place, maybe varying the heights a little bit if you want to, or maybe putting all the same colored ones together, it's, it's the amassing of them. It's the grouping of them that makes them feel like one object. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Just like you can fill an entire glass cabinet filled with your ironstone collection or your yeah. favorite dishes. Right. Again, it's one, it becomes this, it becomes an installation basically. Yeah. If you think of things as an installation, then you can have a lot more things. Yeah. Which of course <laughs> you know. is our goal. No. Yes. <laughs> which is always my goal. Is how do I get more in this room without it feeling too overwhelming? As, yeah, my goal as well. I, we, are, we are on the same page with that. Well, it's been such a pleasure catching up with you again. And I just, I love your book. I love your, the depth to which you 
you create experiences for people and for yourself. And it's, it's very inspirational. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad you liked it. Yes. <laughs> I hope these episodes leave you feeling energized and inspired to create a home that gives something back to you, because in this crazy world we live in, it's good to remember that things like beauty and happiness are within reach. Now, don't forget to take the quiz, what's the number one mistake you're making in your home, over at littleyellowcouch.com, and... We really appreciate all of the reviews that you've been giving us over on iTunes, or I guess it's called Apple Podcasts now, whatever. Please keep them coming in because they help other people find us, which makes it possible to keep this show running. Have a great day, and I'll be back in your earbuds next Monday. Thanks so much for listening. I know your time is valuable and I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And please, please, please take a minute to leave a review for Slow Style Home wherever you get your podcasts. It honestly does help keep this show on the air and your feedback is highly valuable to me. Have a great day and I'll be back in your earbuds soon. Bye for now.